Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planning, and uh, we've got a really cool guest and really cool topic for today's episode. So, uh, Peyton, why don't you introduce the guest? Yeah, so our guest today is Vince Antonucci, and he is in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. I almost said California. I don't know why, but <laughs> anyways, Nevada. And he is the author of numerous books and also the founder of Splagna, which uh, is a uh, training uh, that helps you to reach the unchurched. So, uh, Vince, welcome, man. Good to have you. Hey, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I, awesome. I should also throw in there that Splagna sounds like a restaurant you would find in Las Vegas. So it <laughs> does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, the, it's the word translated uh, compassion in the Bible. And it literally refers to your gut. The word Splagna it means intestines, but it's the word that's always translated compassion. Um, so kind of cool word. And it does sound kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, and, and your the, intestines are kind of gross. So, you know. Yeah, and the the logo, I think it's blood, but it does kind of look like spaghetti sauce. It does. Yeah, it's just a splotch. Yep. <laughs> yeah, re- reemphasizing the whole splagna, like you know, hey, a splagna, you know, the whole. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and with the name like Antonucci, I mean, come on, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Vince, man, hey, so uh, you've got a cool history. Um, you're 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 my kind of scum. You like to reach the unchurched. And, uh, you know, you, you and I, you know, some people have compared some of the stuff that we do. And so, um, man, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the kind of stuff you do in Vegas there, people need to hear about it. So tell us first a a little bit about how you came to faith. Yeah, my, um, my mother is Jewish. Uh, she would, she would say she's an atheist, but, but. She's Jewish, I guess. And uh, my father was a professional poker player in Las Vegas, and they never took me to church at all. Like, so growing up, I never went to church. I always say I never met a Christian. I must have, but no one ever identified themselves as a Christian. No one ever told me about God, mentioned Jesus, invited me to church, anything. So growing up, I knew nothing about the Bible, the gospel, nothing, like absolutely nothing. And so um, went on that way until my uh, end of my sophomore year of college. I turned on a TV in my dorm room and saw this uh, guy on TV and I left it on for a second because it looked uh, just stupid. And he started talking about Jesus and he said something stupid. And uh, I laughed and turned off the TV. And so something about that made me curious and just made me realize, man, I don't know anything about what he's talking about. And so I ended up uh, getting a Bible and not really reading it because I was like so interested in learning. I just was curious. And then I started reading it and uh, I realized that the authors kept giving 
places and times. And I was a pre-law major. I, I did go to law school, so I was into evidence. And I just thought, man, I could disprove this. Like, if you tell me when something happened and where, I can prove that it didn't happen if it didn't happen. And so I kept reading the Bible, discovered this God who uh, the Bible claimed loved me and sent Jesus for me and decided that I needed to know if it was true or not. And so I spent months, months studying the Bible and studying the evidence, uh, trying to find evidence to disprove it, but eventually realizing that there's overwhelming evidence that proves it and really mostly just overwhelmed by Jesus and eventually uh, came to faith and still had never met a Christian and um, went finally uh, wanted to visit my father who was who just got out of prison in Florida is a really long story that I'm trying to keep short but um, my father uh, just got out of prison he later ended up on America's Most Wanted which is awesome Um, but uh, so I went and visited him and he uh, had met a minister in prison and uh, I, so he got it kind of connected me to that guy and that guy gave me a church to go to when I went back to college and I went to church and it was, I mean, loving people, really nice people. I, I went, I, I went to that church for two years, but it felt like a different world. Like I just couldn't relate to any of it. And, uh, and so, uh, I just started having this passion to lead people to Jesus and, uh, this disconnect with church. And so eventually all of that led me to church planning. And I decided that I wanted to spend my life leading people to Jesus and found that the most effective way to do it is start new churches. So I'm like, all right, I'm in. And so I started a church in Virginia Beach, was there for 12 years, and then moved here and started our church about five years ago, which is Verve in Las Vegas. Very cool, man. I'm going to be in Virginia Beach coming up. What church did you plant there? Uh, it's called Forefront. It's an awesome church. They're still doing awesome stuff. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Excellent. So we'll, check it out. Tell, tell, you were telling us before the call about some uh, really cool stuff that had just gone down this past weekend. Give us a little taste, man. Yeah, we um, we just had uh, 16 people this weekend who uh, gave their lives to Christ. So I'm not... Hmm. I'm not judging anybody else, but when we don't count like raising hands and stuff like that, I just, I don't know, you know, is that, is that person serious or is what, what is that? And so we count when people stand up in front of everybody, share their story and get baptized. It's like, okay, that's something, you know, that's a, that's a decision. That's a commitment. And so we had 16 people this weekend who stood in front of everybody and told their story and got baptized, which pretty awesome we've had our church is not quite five years old and i think we now have um 240 something people who have done that and and most of them and when i say most only 51 percent, i mean like way most of them are people who you know they're just stories that you would rarely if ever hear in a church um 70 percent of the people who come to our church are unchurched non-christians when they first show up and um man just amazing stories so like this weekend uh, one of the guys this is a little different in some ways but it's it's the same in others but he's a guy never gone to church his sister he's 60 years old uh used to be the um sound guy for the grateful dead uh and put the sound system into candlestick park in san francisco um well at least one of the people who did that 
and has never gone to church. His sister became a Christian at some point and started telling him, man, you need to go to church. You need God. He's like, yeah, no thanks. And uh, I spoke at his sister's church in Texas. And so she called him and said, there's this guy in Las Vegas where you're at. He's awesome. This church is awesome. You need to go check it out. He said, no thanks. For like four years, she keeps on trying to get him to go. And finally he shows up and just completely skeptical and cynical and uh, comes a couple of times and then uh, volunteers and asks if he could help us do sound. And so he shows up for the day that he's going to help us, you know, kind of do his apprenticing and you know, running sound, even though he's probably better doing something than we have. But, uh, and so we have a production meeting before our service starts and we always clap for the new volunteers and cheer for them. So we did that. And he said, Hey, I, I just want to tell everybody, like, I don't believe any of this stuff. Like, I don't, I don't believe anything that you guys believe. So, I mean, I just want to be up front with you and let you know that, like, I'm not into any of this. And everybody was like, that's fine. That's cool, man. We're just glad you're here. And I said, hey, well, Ted, let, let, can I ask you, like, why have you kept coming back? I know you've come a couple of times and you signed up to serve. Like, like, if you don't believe, what's bringing you back? And he started to cry. This is back in, like, September, early October, maybe. And he started to cry. And he said, I've just never felt love like this. And um, he's like, I, I just don't understand. I just never felt love like this. And so he continued to come and just piece by piece. At one point, we talked about reading the Bible and we, we give people a, a daily Bible reading plan. And then there's a, a blog post every day that goes with what you, the chapter you read in the Bible that kind of gives you some background information, asks you some questions about how, to, how you'll apply it and stuff. And so he's like, fine, I guess I'll try doing that. And so he starts reading the Bible every day and it's a chapter a day, but he finds himself just continuing to read. So it'll be like, you know, read James one and he'll read the whole book of James. And then the next day I said, read James two. And he's like, whoops, I read the whole book. And, um, so, uh, last week we did a sermon. I talked about how, um, you know, we all bet our life on something. You might, you bet your life on a relationship or on your job on being successful and your kids success. We all bet our lives on something. And, talked about betting our lives on Jesus and how he bet on us. You know, when he went to the cross, uh, you know, we're, he's asking us to put our faith in him. He put our, his faith in us in a sense of going across, hoping that we might say yes. And, um, and after the service, he came up to me and said, Vince, I'm all in. And, uh, and so he got baptized last night. It was awesome. Hey, um, let me ask you, Vince, um, you know, you you uh, but before we got started on the call, you had a really interesting comment about uh, money and and how people have asked you for money as far as church planners uh, supporting their efforts and stuff. And um, I thought it was interesting because your comment was church planners do it all completely wrong, and so you actually train people on you know here's here's how you do this. I mean, and and we'll talk about that yeah. too. The the training that you do, share with us if you would. Um, what what do you coach on? I mean, how, how do you coach church planners to ask for money? Uh, how do you how do you yourself build these relationships and um, and find uh, and build relationships where people want to support your ministry and what you guys are doing? Uh, the kind of stuff that yeah. church planners always want to know about, which is you know how do we get the money? Yeah. So um, yeah, we, so I've had to raise money to start the church in Virginia Beach and to start this one, and right now. As you guys mentioned, we're doing this thing called Splog now, which is kind of a church planting movement. We're trying to 
launch um, of starting churches in the most sinful places and for the most cynical people. So, you know, we, the first church plant was Verve. And so we started just off the Vegas Strip in the middle of Sin City. And we're uh, looking to start a church in Bourbon Street uh, on the Sunset Strip. We want to start a church in the Red Light District of Amsterdam, just the kind of places that I think when we look at Jesus' life and example, he would have went, but Christians today tend to avoid. And so we're now having to raise money for that. And so my life has had a lot of, of fundraising in it um, from outside of, you know, my church outside of just, you know, teaching people to tithe kind of thing. And so um, what I teach people is, so, so what most uh, church planners seem to do is they send out a few letters. You know, they think of who are some of the people who might support me and they send a letter. And that just does not work. And then they complain and nobody gives and what's people's problem and stuff. And it's like, well, the problem is you did it wrong. So uh, what I teach people is um, you start with a, a spreadsheet and you think of every person you know and every church you know. And I, I create one spreadsheet for churches, one for people, everybody. Some people are like, oh, that guy I haven't talked to in years or whatever. No, put them to everybody. And... Um, then what you're going to do is you're going to call. So like, we'll talk about individuals first. You're going to call them. You're going to send them a letter and then you're going to call them again. What most church planners do is they send a letter. That's all they do. And that does not work. And so you're going to call them and you're going to say, Hey, I don't know if you've heard, but this is really cool. I'm starting a church, you know, and you're going to make it sound exciting and amazing. Cause if it's not, why are you doing it? Um, and so See, one, one of the things I think uh, church planners don't realize is I think they have this um, kind of this expectation that, of course, people should support me. I'm doing something important. I'm starting a church. But the deal is uh, you're competing. And I hate to use words like this, but is this true? You're competing against a whole lot of other good stuff. You know, so I'll get, I don't know, 10 or 15 requests a year from church planners and missionaries asking me to support them. They're all certain churches or they're all going to other countries to, to try to reach people in some other country. And so if you're so and I can't I can't support 10 or 15 different people. My church can't. I can't personally. And so like it or not, it's a competition. Like I, I need to, to you know pick a couple of those that I'm going to give my money to. And so if all you do is say, hey, I'm doing this you should support me and somebody else makes their sound amazing and, and explains to me why it's important and why it's going to reach people and the impact it's going to have. Well, I'm going to give it to the other person because it sounds more, it sounds like more like bang for my buck. And so um, the, the first thing that you need to do is let's really understand and be able to articulate why is what you're doing so important? Why do I have to get to it? Why is there no other option than me saying yes to your ask? And, um, and if you don't do that, uh, I'm not going to give to you. And if you can't do that, if you can't think of what, what's so great about it, then I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. If it's not something that you can just rave about and get really excited about. Um, so you send the, you, uh, call everybody on your list and you make it sound awesome. And then you say, Hey, can I send you a letter, uh, which would, uh, kind of tell you more about what we're doing and tell you how you could partner with us. Everybody will say yes. No one's going to say, no, I'm sorry, you cannot send me that letter. So you hang up, you send the letter. Um, and they get the letter. And then you call again. 
and this is the key component. Uh, so sometime between two days and seven days after they get the letter, you want to call them again. And uh, the way I talk about this now is I say, what you want to do is you want to get the letter out of the fruit bowl. And uh, the reason I, I caught that is we had a girl who we were working with. She was raising support for a really good ministry, really cool ministry. And so I was kind of, I was training her and I said, phone call, letter, phone call. So she calls her list, she sends her letters and I met with her and she started crying and I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, man, no one's responding. I, I, you know, I didn't think everybody would, but I thought some people would. And the worst thing is my brother. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, man, my brother is a lawyer. He makes tons of money. His wife's a lawyer. She makes tons of money. They're Christians. They believe in me. They believe in my ministry. I know they do. They were the one people who I knew would support me, and they're not. And I was like, really? They, they told you they're not going to? And she said, well, they didn't tell me they're not going to. They just, they haven't responded. I sent the letter. It had a commitment card in it, like you said, too. And, and they haven't responded. And I said, did you call? And she said, well, before the letter. I said, no, did you call after the letter? She said, no. I said, why not? She said, I don't know. I just have so much to do and whatever. And, and weeks and weeks had gone by since she had sent the letters. And so I said, you need to call. So she calls her brother and he says, hey, she says, Hey, I just want to call. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cause a problem, but I just want to understand why won't you support what I'm doing? I thought you believed in, I thought you believed in me. And he said, of course, we're going to support you. And she said, well, then why didn't you send back the commitment card and, and tell me yes. And he said, oh, it's in the fruit bowl. And she's, she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, when we got that letter, we just, we always throw our mail in the fruit bowl because we don't have any fruit in it. And, uh, and then, you know, so we said, oh yeah, we're going to support joy. We need to sit down and talk about how much we're going to give to her and all that. And we threw in the fruit bowl and we just totally forgot about it. I'm so sorry. Of course we're going to support you. And so the, the problem is even if you make a great case, even if you inspire people to give, uh, like I, I don't have a bowl, I've got a drawer that I put mail in and I've got, I, I'm sure right now I've got letters from missionaries and church planners asking me to support them in that drawer. And some of them are ones that I thought, huh, I'll think about it. I might do that one. I might support that guy. And so you need to call again to get the, the letter out of the fruit bowl and get them to sign the commitment card. That's um, awesome. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, and, you know, one of the interesting things, too, that I, I hear from that, because I work with a lot of uh, business owners because of what I do with marketing and whatnot. And, um, and salespeople drop the ball like that all the time. I mean – Essentially, that's exactly what we tell salespeople they have to do. In fact, uh, there's a guy by the name of Chet Holmes, and he wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And I know there's a lot of pastors right now who are going to hear this and go, oh, no, I'm selling. I can't be selling. I'm here for the gospel. And it's like you got to hear these concepts. You have to understand this. And uh, yeah. one of the things that that Chet talked about in his book so he talked about his dream 100. So in the business world, you'd take your top 100 clients or, or top 100 people who you'd like to make clients and you go, okay, these are the people I'm going to go after with all the passion in the world and I'm not going to let up until they say yes. And I don't know how long it's going to be. And so he would do this at magazines. He'd go into magazines that were failing and what they do is they'd send a letter one week, the next week they'd call, a letter the next week, the next week they'd call and they would do that until the people finally came on. I mean, there's some other nuances to it, but 
He goes, the, the true test is by the end of the third month when no one said yes yet. And you're like, okay, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my money? He goes, but something happens. It goes from uh, where people are like kind of annoyed to where they start to admire your persistence. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, yep. wow, maybe I need to look at this. And in every case where he would do this, uh, they would end up with 90 to 100% of those people actually becoming clients at the end of, you know, in their case, it would be like over 12 months. By the fourth month, it would just start popping like crazy. But by the end of 12 months, yeah. they would end up with all of them. And it's because of that persistency. And most uh, most salespeople don't do it. And I know most church planners don't do it. They just, you know, they quit, yeah. they quit too early. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome. And that's what I do with churches. So with people... I, I do uh, phone call, letter, phone call. And then if I, on that next, on that phone call, if they say, no, I'm not going to support you. And you may, you maybe some of you say, you say, all right, I'm not going to keep asking. They're a friend, they're a relative or whatever. I don't want to burn this relationship. But the other list I create is with churches. And so uh, I write down every church I have a connection with. I used to go to it. I, my friend, you know, is now one of their pastors, whatever. And I do the same thing. Phone call, letter, phone call. The letter's different. Because the letter for an individual focuses more on me and my family, and we're raising support so we can, you know, live while we do this great mission. Uh, the the letter to the church is totally focused on the church, not on me putting food on my table. Uh, it shows that I've done my homework. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I actually usually have a strategic plan I give, um, and. So uh, send the make the phone call to the person I know best on staff who's highest up on that staff. Send the letter, strategic plan, and then make the phone call again. If and that and typically, unlike a person, a person's usually going to say, "Yep, we're going to support you. We'll get this in the mail." Uh, a, a pastor or whatever is typically going to say, "Man, I have to wait. We've got a mission team meeting coming up, or you know, our, our elders are meeting at the end of the month and we'll, I'll present this to them. And so we say, cool, can I call you the day after that to find out what happened? Uh, if they say no, <laughs> what I always do is I say, uh, I understand. Uh, would, would it be okay with you if I call you back and ask again, because maybe your circumstances will change because typically what, what the no from a church won't be, we don't believe in this. This is crap. Uh, typically they're going to say, Hey, things are tight right now. Or we already are supporting two church plants and we don't really have more, more room in our budget or something like that. And so I'll say, okay, I totally understand. Could I call you back? Because maybe that circumstance will change. And I say, sure. Everybody says yes to you. You can call me back. And so I wait. I kind of feel it out. Maybe two months, maybe three or four months. And then I call back. And what I do when I call back is I change my ask. And so, because I don't want to seem stubborn and I don't want to give them the opportunity to say, I already said no to this. So the first time I call, I say, so there was one church and I called, said, uh, I'm looking for four churches that will get $50,000 over three years each. And then other churches at different sizes. But would you be one of those churches that gives me $50,000 over the next three years? And uh, eventually they said no. And so when I called back, I don't say, hey, what about now, 50000 for three years? Because it's easy for him to say, I already presented that to my committee. The answer is no again. So I change my ask. I say, hey, I realize 50000 is a lot of money. And you guys, you know, you told me you weren't in a place to do that. What about $25,000 over three years? Is that something you might be able to do? Oh, well, that, you know, that's something I'll have to bring back to the committee. Cool. Can you bring that back to the committee? 
And then uh, if he says no to that, I'll say, okay, I understand. Can I call you back? Yes, you can call me back. Call back. Change the ask again. Maybe so this time, maybe I'll say, hey, I know 25000 over three years. I, maybe part of it is you don't know where you're going to be in three years, and I understand that. But right now, I'm having to buy equipment. I'm having to, I'm going to be doing postcard or whatever it is. Um, and it's going to cost $10,000. Can you just give me $10,000 right now? Uh, I'm going to have to go to the committee. Okay, go to the committee. Uh, and then he comes back. If I got, and I may get a yes, but if I get a no, can I call you back? And so I have, and then when I call back, I'll lower it again. And finally I get down to, would you send a, a mission team um, with enough money for them to do the things they're going to do. We're going to send this team out and they're going to serve the community in these kinds of ways. It's going to cost about $1,500 for their week of serving. Would you guys be willing to send a mission team with $1,500? Um, so the church that probably, I guess it was our second biggest financial supporter, was a church that said no to 50, no to 25, no to 10 right now, no to, I think I said $500 a month for the next three years, no to something else, just no, 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 no. And then called me and said, hey, um, and this is probably about a year later, um, said, hey, we're going to give you $64,000 over the next three years. And I said, really? (laughs) I was because like the most I'd ever asked for was 50. Um, and it, and you had said no to like a thousand and they said, yep, we just did a, we just did a financial campaign and we prayed and we felt like we should, uh, tithe what we brought in and we're going to give it to you because, you know, we've talked to you so much and know what you're doing is really important. And so we didn't have the money before, but now we do. And so wow. kind of like you were saying, Peyton, I think, you know, they admire the persistence and they see this is like, you're on fire for this. This is not something you're going to you know, give your best effort and quit on or something. And so, um, yeah, it's that, it's the being able to, like, like you said, it sounds like a dirty word, but being able to sell it and show people why this is important and why this is something they should, they have to give their money to, and then being persistent when you get no's, um, those are the keys. I think church planners have to start developing. I know it's definitely happened to me because I was always uncomfortable about money. And because of that, I never asked. I would say I'm still learning. But what's changed in me is almost like a Robin Hood mentality of I'm going to take from the rich and give to the poor. And I've definitely gotten that kind of bug recently. And I would say in the last probably two years. But two questions come up in relationship to this when uh, just as you're telling this, and I think this is absolutely brilliant. um, But how long do you wait before you call them back? Are Are we talking three months, six months, a year? What's your... Your average wait time. Yeah, it depends on why they said no. Um, so, you know, I'll try to, when they say, hey, we're not going to be able to do it, I say, oh, I understand. I'm not, you know, I'm not sick. Could you, could you explain to me why? You know, maybe there's something I can learn from it. And sometimes they'll just say, hey, we're, we're just, we just don't do church planting. Or, but often it's, well, you know, we have an annual missions budget and right now we're given to this and this. And, and so we wouldn't have any, we don't have any money free till January. And then, so then if that's the case, I'd call back for, you know, the January deal. Um, so it depends on, <laughs> um, but I mean, typically it's going to be at least a month, probably more like two or three. Like I think if it's too soon, it just sounds like, dude, didn't we just talk? <laughs> didn't I just tell you, no, I want it to be long enough that they feel like I respected that first no. And like, I, like maybe Vince really does believe that things changed 
enough that we could reconsider this. Um, right. So there is there is the chance that you're gonna that you're gonna hurt a relationship. That's only happened to one with me in one church. It was a church I didn't really know well, but I think I over asked and he just stopped returning my calls and that <laughs> stinks, but I think the mission's worth it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I thought maybe you were going to say, you just went, come on like that. on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> But Oh, go ahead, man. I was just say what you said is so good because with, uh, cause church planners don't want to ask. It's like, oh, I feel weird about it. And the thing I tell them, and it's basically what you said is, you're not you're not asking for money. You're not asking for like welfare. What you're doing is you're giving people a chance to to change people's lives in your city. Yeah. And yeah. the the story I always share is so at Burv, the first person we led to faith and um, and baptized and all that was a pimp. Uh, it's a crazy story. He's become one. I don't know if I'd say one of or the most radical Christian I know. Um, and we, somebody made a video about his story. Another, another church did. It's like a oh, 15 minute long, really good video. And uh, I was back at my church. I started in Virginia beach and I showed that video and just to kind of show them what was going on and you know, give an update. And there's a uh, lady who goes to that church named Paige. And after the service, uh, she came up and she's somebody who's been giving us $200 a month since we moved out to Las Vegas her and her husband. And she came up to me and she said, Vince, when I watched that video, I thought my heart was going to beat out of my chest. And she, she said, I just was watching that thinking, I did that. I did that. And it was just her realizing, you know, my investments, what allows Vince to be out there, what allowed this church to get started and look what my money did. And so I always tell church planners that story and say, you're not asking people for welfare. You're asking people, Hey, Will you partner with me in changing lives? Will yeah. you partner with me in bringing God's lost children home? Like that's an honor to to ask somebody that. It's not a favor. That's awesome, man. So the last question I have regarding this is, um, what when you say there are churches you're in relationship with, um, what mm-hmm. do does that mean? Like you've just like maybe you've gone and preached there once, or is this d- define what that means? Yeah, it could mean anything. Um, so, yeah, if, if I've spoken at a church, for sure, I would ask them. Um, but it could mean it's just like I know somebody. Like I, I've never cold called anybody. But if there's uh, a pastor who I've met at, you know, church planting conference kind of stuff, I'd ask him. If um, if I went to seminary with the youth pastor, I'd ask them because I, you know, I try to get the youth pastor to say, Hey, will you kind of represent me in this and say, Hey, you guys need to check this guy out. So if I know anybody on the staff there, or maybe even somebody who attends the church, who's really a core kind of person, I'm going to ask. All right. So here's, here's what I want to ask you. I know we're, we're out of time here, but uh, Pete misses Q. So we had a really long lap. So if he goes back and edits that out, then, then it'll even out. (laughs) Here's, here's the deal, right? If, um, if, if you wouldn't mind, just, I just want to hear like some of your, um, your call here. Let's pretend you've been on the podcast here. You want to hit Pete and I up, you know, we're like daddy Warbucks. You want our money. Um, let's just pretend it's me and you, man. Can you just like call me for a second and just, cause I want to hear kind of like how you get to that. You just, do you shoot the breeze for a while or do you, 
Hey, remember that um, time we were talking about burritos and um, over at that conference? And, and, and then, you know, you farted and then we laughed and, hey, man, will you give me money? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would, I would uh, try to shoot the breeze a little bit and just be relational. I don't want somebody to be like, geez, you just like, you know, jumped on me. So I would do a little bit of that. Just like, how are you doing? How's your family? What's going on with your church or whatever. And so, um, but eventually I would, so like I would pitch them. Um, I, I know it sounds, you know, it sounds like, you know, like you said earlier, it sounds like sales and advertising and stuff, but it just, it kind of is in a sense. And so I would say, Hey man, I, I think, you know, uh, a little bit about what we're doing with this whole Splagnock thing, but if you got a couple of minutes, I'd love to, to tell you more. And so, you know, when we moved to Las Vegas, um, we did this demographic study and we found that there were 270,000 people who lived within five miles of the place where we're having church, which is crazy. I mean, Las Vegas just packs people in. So for instance, there's 270,000 people, the entire population of Lexington, Kentucky, and it's also the population of St. Paul, Minnesota. And so I started studying and I found out that there are 450 churches right about in Lexington. There's about 650 in St. Paul, Minnesota. And in our five mile radius with the exact same population base, there's 11. And so I started just saying, man, that is crazy. Why is that? And the reason is because our five mile radius has the Las Vegas Strip in it. And Las Vegas Strip has a lot of stuff, but one thing it doesn't have is churches. Um, which you might think, well, sure, it's got it's too sinful or whatever. But when you look at the life of Jesus, he was always going to the most sinful people and the most sinful places, right? right. And, and all the religious people kind of were shocked by it because he's and there he is in uh, in Levi's house with all the tax collectors and sinners, and now he's in Samaria and he's talking to you know. And so Jesus would go to the most sinful places, the most sinful people, and what's happened in our world is the church has decided to do just the opposite. And so I, I started studying like, well, what about Bourbon street? That's another really sinful place. Yep. There's no churches, but what about the sunset strip? What about uh, South, South beach of Miami? What about um, the red light district of Amsterdam? And, and what you find is where sin abounds, the Bible says grace abounds all the more, but the reality today is where sin abounds, the church retreats all the more. And so what we're trying to do is start this, this deal called Spagna, where what we want to do is we want to uh, find church planners who have a passion and a skill set that they can do this and resource them to do it and equip and train them to do it and send them out to the places that Jesus would have gone and Christians today avoid. And man, to do this, we, we need cash. We need you know, financial partners who are going to say, you know what? Like that's something that I want to be a part of. Like that needs to happen. Like it's you know, and so if I had time, uh, I would talk. I would tell some of our stories. I would tell the story about the the pimp we led to Christ, and about the Spears impersonator we led to Christ, and the uh, um, Gary who's a pit boss at a casino, and say you know I there's great churches in Las Vegas, great ones but they're all 15 to 30 minutes away from the strip. Right. And, and so like what would have happened to Travis and Sandy and Gary, if we didn't exist, you know, no, no yeah. one was focused on reaching people like that. And that's exactly what's happening right now on, on bourbon street. It's what's happening right now on, 
you know, South Beach. And we need we need a church there that's going to reach the people that Jesus wants to reach. Yeah. And so what do you think? And get there, you know, so with churches, usually it's a slow process with people. Usually it's a quick yes or no. But um, yeah. yeah, so that that's kind of how I would do it. Well, man, but look, again, I want to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the main thing, obviously, I think being, you know, trying to make them go, oh, wow, this is this is a vision that I want to give to, you know, not just, hey, we're starting this church. Hey, we're starting this church movement, It'd be, you know, because that's the letter I always get. Hey, I'm starting a church in Milwaukee. My family's so excited. You know, Milwaukee needs more churches. Will you give? Huh. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that is a good thing. But I got 10 of those letters. Which do I give to? And so right. I, you know, you need to tell me what's so special about this. Uh, right. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much, Vince, for coming on. It's not the first time we've had you. It definitely won't be the last you've given our right. church planner something really, really helpful. Like today was extremely valuable. So well, let's, uh, uh, let's also, um, Vince, why don't you tell everyone when the vault is and, uh, just a little bit about that. So we can, uh, you know, let our, our church planners know about that. Thanks. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, so we do a little conference every year. It's intentionally small. We, we have decided we're not going to let it be beyond about 100 people, which stinks for money because, you know, you can make more. The bigger covers get, the more money you cost or you, you make. But we're, just, we're not in it for money. We don't really even make money. Um, we, we charge 100 bucks, and we, it costs us about that. We feed people. We bring in speakers. And so it's, it's a wash for us. But um, it's a it's a conference that's totally focused on reaching to reach people. And so there's there's a lot better conferences for how to build a successful church or how to grow your church. But if you're serious about reaching people who uh, I think God wants us to reach but are difficult to reach and most churches aren't reaching, that's all we talk about. How do you reach them? How do you disciple them? How do you disciple really messy people who don't have church background and um, just all those kind of issues? So. Uh, you can learn more at vaultconference.com, vaultconference.com. It's for church planners and pastors who want to reach hard-to-reach people. We've got uh, John Weiss, uh, who just wrote a book called Jesus Problem. In fact, he was on Outreach Magazine cover last week, uh, last month. He's going to be speaking this year. And uh, Judd Wilhite joins us every year from uh, Henderson next to Las Vegas. And so it's a really good time, vaultconference.com. Cool. All right. Well, very cool, man. Hey, well, thank you for uh, coming on. And this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold? Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.